Our passage is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Hebrews 3, 12 to 15. Take care, brethren, lest there be, should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to be with us and grant us a true knowledge of you and a, a true assurance of our salvation. May we understand how it, uh, you, you have expressed yourself in terms of what we should be as true believers, as true brothers and sisters in Christ. And grant us evidence in our life and grant us assurance of our salvation. And as well, may we be able to distinguish between true righteousness and false righteousness. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, in this passage, he continues to explain what happened to the wilderness generation and what they did not understand, what they did not contemplate, what they did not hear correctly when Moses preached to them the word of God. And in the same way, this is applicable to us. He applies this to the generation of the new covenant that is to us so that we understand as well what it means to be a true follower of Christ. This is in the midst of two chapters devoted to warning us to be true believers. These two chapters in the letter to the Hebrews, chapters 3 and 4, are comprised of warnings to make sure that we understand that we belong to Christ. This should not be an enigma to us. This should not be a surprise to us that the Bible does this, even in this letter. Even Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And in that day, I will declare to them, the people who say, Lord, Lord, in vain, I will declare to them, I never knew you. The Bible says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Why does the Bible speak like this? Why does Jesus and the Apostle Paul speak like this? Why does our letter speak like this? It speaks like this to assure us that we are true followers of Christ, that we are true believers of Christ. Because in a group of people, all claiming to be brothers and sisters in Christ, all having names such as John and Joseph, Elizabeth and Mary, and some of us even have the name Christian. In a context like this, where we have names that are Christian names, Christian-sounding names, we associate with the church, we go to various churches, we say we've been baptized as an infant or baptized as an adult, we are members of this church or that church, we have walked down the aisle, we have raised our hands, we have said a prayer, we have done any number of things that the minister has told us, the minister declares to us, now you are a believer. Now you are saved from your sins. 
Now you are going to heaven and nothing can ever change that. These are words that we are often hearing these days. We hear this constantly in large meetings, in small meetings. We hear these in large churches and small churches. We hear this everywhere that as long as you do this or that thing, then you can be assured no matter what anybody tells you because the minister told you. You are now a Christian. You are now born again. You are now a believer in Christ and nothing will ever change that. When in fact, many times the gospel that was preached to the people was a false gospel. And as well, they were not told to repent of sin. And they were not told that they must now live a Christian life. They must live a life that reflects Jesus Christ. Not Satan, not themselves in the world and the culture of the day, but Christ. They were never told those things that from this point forward, this is the way your life should be. This is the kind of fruit this is the kind of behavior, kind of conduct that should now change in your life. And if it does not change or begin to change, then you are a false brother. That is the thing that is not preached whenever the gospel is preached, the so-called gospel is preached. Those are the things that are never said or barely said when actually that should be front and center whenever the gospel is preached. Take any examples of the sermons of Jesus, take any examples of the sermons of Paul and Peter in the book of Acts, and you will see that this is the way they speak. They speak of what God has done in time and space, and then they bring everyone to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and call on them to forsake their wickedness and to pursue righteousness. This is characteristic of all of their messages. From the prophets of the Old Testament to the apostles and Christ of the New Testament, this is everywhere. And now we have an example of a passage that calls on us to make sure we are in the faith. Verse 12 says, Take care, brethren. Take care. It begins by saying, take care. Why do we say take care except to be careful about something? Watch out, there is danger ahead. He does this again and again throughout his letter. He does it in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should, come, should seem to come short of it. Verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. Chapter 6, verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Chapter 12, chapter 12, and verse 15, he says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Chapter 12, verse 25, 12, 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. The people of Israel had Moses there right in front of him, them in the wilderness, telling them what God expected of them. He warned them from the earth. He warned them from God who was in heaven, but he was there on the earth. He says, we, if they could not escape the punishment that Moses inflicted on them, how are we going to escape if the Son of God comes from heaven, comes down to the earth, 
and then lives a perfect life, lives a life of ministry for our sins, dies on the cross for our sins and rises from the dead, how are we going to escape if we neglect what he came to tell us personally? We will not escape. That's why he says, take care. This is why he says, take care. Notice also in verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, he calls his readers brethren. We are all called brethren. We're all called brothers. The Bible speaks of us as brothers in different ways. It says that we are all brothers or the children of God by creation. It says that we are all his offspring, Acts 17, 28. So because God created every person who lives in every nation, whatever language, thereby we are his children in that sense. Children because God is our father by creation. But there's another sense in which we are brothers or children of God. And this is in the spiritual sense. In the spiritual sense or spiritual realm, we are his children if we are by faith, in truth, by faith in Christ. If we truly believe in Christ, then we are children of God. Then we have been born again If we believe in Christ, we have been born again. But if we don't believe in Christ, we're not truly born again. So this is what it means to be a a true spiritual child. However, many people claim that spiritual connection. Many people say, yes, I believe. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I am a churchgoer. Yes, I am saved. Yes, I believe in Christ. Many people say that. But in the spiritual sense, they are really bogus brothers. They have a false faith. They claim to be brothers, but really that claim is an empty claim. They allege that they know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed, the Bible says. This is the way it is in the spiritual sense. There are true brothers and there are false brothers. Our apostle here addresses the people as brothers because they all claim it. But just because everybody claims it doesn't necessarily mean everyone who claims it is a true brother. This is why he presents this warning. Take care. Take care, brothers. Make sure you are a true brother. We read earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you recall that the man who had his father's wife in verse 11 was called a so-called brother. That man was in the church. People in the church knew him, but he was committing a sexual sin, an unrepentant sexual sin, and the people of the church did nothing about it, and the apostle Paul had to write a letter in order to instruct them and warn them to remove that man from the church because he's now proven to be a so-called brother. He's a pretentious brother. He pretends to believe, but by his actions, he's denying the faith and he is infesting the rest of the people. He's influencing the rest of the people to behave in the same way, to believe in the same way, when that does not suit true Christianity. Therefore, Paul said, remove him. Excise him from your midst. He should not belong to you and he should not be allowed to bear the name brother or Christian or believer or whatever. 
He claims to be, but his deeds show that he does not match up. That's one of many examples in the Bible of how there are true believers and false believers. We may just take a cursory look at Scripture. Consider even in the family of Adam and Eve, the first family, there were two brothers by name, Abel and Cain. Cain was a false believer. Abel was a true believer. They were two brothers physically in the same family with the same mother and same father, and yet one was a believer and the other was an unbeliever. Then we have the family of Abraham. Abraham had two sons. He had the son Isaac, a true believer. He had a false son, Ishmael, a false believer. He was a true son in the physical sense. He was from Abraham. Abraham was his true physical father, natural father. But in the spiritual sense, Abraham was not his father, and God was not the father of Ishmael. Ishmael was a bogus brother in the spiritual sense. These examples go throughout the scriptures, such as in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, there's incident after incident, Numbers 11 to 20, incident after incident, chapter after chapter, explaining there's a mass of people being led by Moses out of Egypt and through the wilderness and headed to the land of Canaan. But time after time after time, as is evident in Numbers 11 to 20, Psalm 106, Psalm 78, many examples of how these people were constantly rebellious and they believed for a short time, for one day or a part of a day, and then the next day their unbelief showed up. They rebelled, they didn't believe. They griped, they carped at Moses and at God, and they even wanted to go back to Egypt and be slaves again. That's how miserable of a group of people they were. They manifested by their behavior that they were not true brothers. What about Jesus? Among Jesus' 12 disciples, he had 11 true disciples and one false disciple. The deceptive disciple was Judas Iscariot. He pretended. He pretended for a while, and he even duped many people. He had the gospel. He heard the true gospel. He saw the miracles of Christ. Christ commissioned him in Matthew chapter 10, him and the 12, to go out preaching the gospel, to have authority over the demons, to have authority over diseases, to heal people in various ways, and to preach the truth. Judas did that. And yet, he was the son of the devil. And eventually, his fruit, his life, manifested that he was actually a false friend. He did not have a true faith. This is the way it is, and this is the way it is also in our generation. Many people say, brother, Christian, but yet there are very few of them who truly live up to that name. Those are the true believers. Those are the ones who go to heaven. The rest perish. Now he says in verse 12, Take care, brethren, lest or else there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. He says, any one of you in this group of the church, any one of you, in verse 12, and as well he says it in verse 13, any one of you, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, any one of you. 
And in chapter 6, verse 11, he says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Here, he's telling them, I know you are all manifesting that you are believers. And I want that to be true of all of you. I want it to be true that all of you are true brothers. But any one of you, if you fall away, will show that you are a false follower, that you don't actually believe. Any one of you. It could happen to anybody. Even Paul said about himself, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly, after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. He believed he was a true believer, and he was a true believer. He had the assurance of salvation, but he also knew that if he manifested a practicing of sin, a love of sin, and he did not control himself, have practiced his own self-control in every area of life, if that was not front and center in his life all the time, that he would disqualify himself, that he didn't want that to happen. So he coupled repentance and faith with the grace of God to produce the fruit of the Spirit in his life. This is the kind of life Paul the Apostle lived. If Paul lived that way, and he's exhorting us to live this way, and it could be any one of us, should we not live that way too? Should we not give, uh, give no room? Should we not coddle any sin at all? We should prohibit any sin from having a manifestation and a foothold in our life. We need to strive against it, fight against it, fight the good fight of faith to resist all sin. Because sin produces this evil, unbelieving heart. Evil, unbelieving heart. This evil, unbelieving heart is inside of all of us from the time that we are born until the time that we die if we are unconverted. This evil, unbelieving heart is a heart that rebels against God, rebels against the things of God, does not wake up in the morning and say, today I will love God, and do, it, do that faithfully until the end of life. Nobody does that. That doesn't happen. It does not happen naturally because naturally we have an evil, unbelieving heart that's always straying away from God. But in this case, notice, these are people who have put a lid on it. They have covered it up for a temporary time. They have an evil, unbelieving heart, but it doesn't look that way. It doesn't seem that way. Temporarily, it seems that they are nice people. They are swell people. They are true Christians. But eventually, they show their true colors. Eventually, they manifest in their life that they don't have a good heart, they don't have a believing heart, but they have an evil, unbelieving heart. This is similar to the parable of the sower and the seeds. Matthew 13, Jesus explained that there were soils that received the word of God and they had temporary joy, they had temporary manifestation or desire to reject the sin of the world, but then the deceitfulness of riches manifests itself. The worries of the world manifest itself. And then they fall away, Jesus said. They fall away. In the same way, he says here, the evil, unbelieving heart 
falls away from the living God. The evil, unbelieving heart falls away. Falling away, that means it retreats. It goes back and lives the kind of life that it wants to live. Temporarily, they have a life that manifests some cleanness, some desire for truth, some desire for God, but then they revert back to their old ways and they are overcome by those old ways. 2 Peter 2.20, 2 Peter 2.20, he describes such people, the same people as we have in Hebrews 3. 2 Peter 2.20, he says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. He calls these people who have this temporary relief, temporary cleansing, he calls them dogs and hogs. Notice that. He says that it's like a dog. A dog temporary relieves itself of the affliction, internal affliction by vomiting. But after <laughs> it has vomited and has temporary relief from that internal stomach affliction, upset stomach, what does it do? It sees the vomit on the ground and goes over there and eats it. The dog is that way. The hog is that way. The hog is naturally a filthy creature. It loves filth. All kinds of filth, does it not? It needs to be controlled so that it does not indulge in the filth. But if you leave a hog to run, a pig to run, and do whatever it wants, it will go to the filth. Temporarily, you might capture it. Temporarily, you might clean it. Temporarily, you might think that it's a cute and cuddly kind of animal, but you let it go out, you release it, it will go to the filth. It will indulge headlong and headstrong into the filth. That's the kind of people that are described as bogus brothers. There are people just like that, who will behave just like that. And that's what it means to fall away. You were firm momentarily, but then you wobbled and you fell away. You went back to your old life. Don't let that happen to you. That is the admonition here. And notice too, Hebrews 3.12 says, from the living God, they had a taste temporarily of forgiveness. They had a taste of heavenly things. They saw the Holy Spirit work in their surroundings, in the lives of other people. They had a taste of the Word of God temporarily. They saw that the Bible is understandable. The Bible is clear. The Bible does show the way of salvation, and it is wonderful. They had that knowledge. They had the knowledge of the living God. We don't worship an idol that is dumb, blind, stupid. We don't worship an idol, an image like that. We worship the living God. 
And the living God performed miracles in the lives of the people all around, and even in the life of the bogus brother. Temporarily, he performed a miracle. He delivered him temporarily from drug addiction. Temporarily, he delivered him from alcohol addiction and drunkenness. Temporarily, from gambling. Temporarily, from any number of sins, even sexual sins. Temporarily. They had a taste of the living God and his power. Temporarily. But they would not remain with the living God. Instead of choosing life, they chose death. In choosing the way that could revive them and continue in that way, they chose the way of death and misery. Don't do that. Choose the living God. Stick with the living God. So how should we do so? Verse 13 explains how we stick with the living God. But encourage one another day after day. Encourage one another day after day. That means that we need each other to read the Bible, to hear the Bible, to study the Bible, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to talk to each other about our sins, to talk to each other about our struggles, about our uncertainties, the hardships we face. We need to talk to each other and encourage one another in the things of God. Whatever the Bible says about that hardship, whatever the Bible says about the other temptation, whatever the Bible says about anything, we ought to bring it up and apply it to the need of the moment. Apply it to the need of the moment to help each other overcome by the word of God and prayer. We ought to pray for each other so that when we are lonesome, whenever we are in a dire circumstance, whenever everybody around us is rebellious and we're the only one standing up, that we might have faith to have victory over that temptation, to have victory over that persecution. That's the way that we need to pray for each other. The word of God and prayer. We need one another. And if we do not meet together, we cannot eat together, right? If we don't meet together, how can we eat together? We can't eat physically, but we can't even eat spiritually, our spiritual food. We need to eat it but it requires meeting together. This is why Hebrews 10, 23 says, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He tells us that we should not forsake our own assembling together, but encourage one another. Because when we assemble, that's when we have the topic of the things of God at hand and what the Bible says about our own life and circumstances. Encourage one another by meeting together. He says also day after day, don't let a day go by. Don't let a day go by when you lack encouragement from one another. Day after day, we need this encouragement. Not temporarily, not once a week, but day after day. And he says, as long as it is still called today. As long as it is still called today. That's why the scripture says, 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to be saved from sin. Now is the time to live the Christian life. Why is it that we find that there are communists who hardly sleep to accomplish their worthless and deathly goals? They even round up many youths and have them work night and day tirelessly to accomplish their means, evil means and evil ends. This is what they do. How is it and why is it that Muslims are tirelessly working all around the world and even in our country, even in our cities, to do their malicious deeds? They don't sleep. They don't do it the way we are. They are more diligent and more zealous than us day after day while it is still called today. That's the way they are. And any number of other false religions do the same thing. They're knocking on doors. They're donating. They, they are rallying together. They're studying their books. They're doing whatever it takes to overcome and to accomplish their wicked ends. That's what they're doing. But where are we as Christians? What are we doing day after day? Today, do we say we need to live for the Lord? Today, do we say no compromise with sin? Today, do we say we're going to follow Christ even to death, whether even, even if that's death on a cross? Do we do that today? Didn't Jesus say we need to live that way? Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Today be saved from sin. Today live a righteous and holy life. Today conquer in the name of Christ, whatever is before us. Today. Because if we don't have this attitude of today, he says, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Sin is lurking around the corner. Sin is hiding and ready to pounce on you when you are unaware. When you have your eyes closed, when you have your ears closed, when you are twiddling your thumbs, when you are pursuing hedonism, when you are pursuing fun, fame, and fortune, when you are doing all these things, sin will crouch up and its desire is for you but you must master it, the Bible says. Sin's desire is to be deceitful. That's the way it destroys people. Isn't that what happened to Eve? Eve said to the Lord, Genesis 3.13, the serpent deceived me and I ate, she says. He deceived me and I ate. I ate of the tree, the forbidden tree, because he deceived me. Well, she let that happen and he let that happen. They were both together. She gave to her husband who was with her, the text says. They both did it. She was deceived and he knew full well it was wrong and did it anyways. This is the way sin is. Sin is typically this way. It's deceitful. It looks good. It's got a candy coating, but the core is cancer. Sin presents itself as candy coated, but it's really with the core of cancer. That's the way sin is. So don't be deceived. Always be on guard. 
Always tighten your belt. Always put on the full armor of God. Always fight the good fight of faith. Always be that way. Day after day. As long as it, it is still called today. Pray first thing in the morning. Pray the last thing at night. And pray at every moment in between. Don't fill your mind with the world, the things of the world, the, the songs of the world, the lyrics of the world, the movies of the world, the writings of the world. Don't fill your mind like that. Fill your mind with the things of God because sin is deceitful and it will time by time or moment by moment, it will start to desensitize you to the things of God and make you think that this practice or that belief is just fine and squares with the Bible, the Holy Bible, when actually it contradicts the Bible. For example, I have come across many times in ministry people who say, I didn't know that was a sin. I didn't know that was a sin. Well, how could they not know that something was a sin unless they were not reading their Bibles, unless their pastors and, and priests were not teaching them the Bible, and when they were following politicians and whoever else that were misleading them into thinking that you could have this belief or that law and it doesn't contradict the Bible. They were blinded by what was presented before them and did not have the clarity of the Bible. They did not read it and let the Bible apply itself to their circumstances. They were deceived. This is what sin does. It deceives us. Furthermore, he explains, verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We have become partakers of Christ. He asserts this in this conditional statement. It is true. We have become partakers of Christ in the true sense. We have eaten of Christ. We have eaten his flesh and, and drunk of his blood, as he says in John chapter 6. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. This kind of partaking of Christ, the bread of life, if we come to Christ, we believe in Christ, if we partake of Christ in the spiritual sense, if we consume him, understanding the true nature of his death for our sins, his body broken, his blood shed, for our sins, we are partakers of Christ. We are forgiven of sin. We are inheritors of eternal life. We will be with the Lord forever where there is no more pain, suffering, sorrow, death, misery, nothing like that ever again. We are partakers of the Holy Spirit because if we believe in Christ, the Spirit has, dwelled, has come to dwell within us. We have the deposit of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to give us insight, wisdom, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of fear, the spirit of grace. This is who dwells within us if we are true partakers of Christ. He says, we have become partakers of Christ, but how can we know? We can know in many ways. Here, he gives us one way. He says, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Initially, when we first confessed Christ, we had assurance that we were saved. But we have to hold fast to that assurance, the beginning of our assurance. We need to hold fast to this faith, firm 
until the end. If we do not hold fast, firm, until the end, then we are not true partakers of Christ. You have heard people say that you know that you are a true believer if you endure until the end. That's based on a passage like this. People who do not endure until the end, the moment you see that they have not endured until the end, you know that they are not true partakers of Christ. They're not true believers. They're not true believers if they have stayed with Christ temporarily, and then they say, you know, I don't believe that anymore. You know, I, I used to believe like that, but I don't, I don't hold to that anymore. I think that there's other ways to interpret the Bible. There's other ways of salvation. Jesus is not the only way. I don't need to believe that he died for my sins. I can live this way, and everything is fine between me and God. So don't tell me anything more. Leave me alone, they say. These are the kinds of people who have not hold, uh, held firm until the end. These are the people who used to profess the true faith, but now they deny that true faith. If they deny that true faith, these are not true partakers of Christ. Jesus said, he who endures until the end shall be saved. He who endures until the end shall be saved. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. See, people who walk away from the truth, whoever walks away from the truth manifests that he does not hold fast the beginning of his assurance firm until the end. They walk away from the truth and they go listen to something else that will make them feel better. They will say, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? That's what they will do. But true believers will hold firm to the truth until the end. They won't walk away, but hold on to the truth until the end. I said that this passage gives us one indication of who a true believer is, that he endures until the end. The Bible is full of examples of the difference between a true brother and a false brother. The Bible is full of examples of that. We mentioned a few earlier. And we also have passages such as Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, which list the deeds of the flesh and also the fruit of the Spirit. Those things that are characteristic of an unbeliever and those things that are characteristic of a believer. The Bible makes it as plain as day. The difference between night and day, black and white. This is the way a true believer is. That's the way a false believer is. The Bible gives us example after example so that we can know if we are in the right group, if we are true believers or not. It gives us this so that we might know and that we might tell others. If we love them, we'll tell them the truth and let them know whether they are in one category or another. Then verse 15, he says, we ought to hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, while it is said, while it is said, while the warning is still there, while the warning is still there, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Today, quoting a passage from Psalm 95, which he quoted earlier in our chapter, this is the wilderness generation. David alludes to or references the wilderness generation and he tells his own contemporaries, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. This is the difference between a true brother and a false brother. A true brother will hear the word of God, the truth of God. A true brother will hear what is said here and will not harden his heart. But a false brother will hear this word and then his heart becomes hardened. His eyes do not want to see. His ears are closed up. And when they do so, they provoke God. That's the difference. When we hear the word of God, does it cause us to be humble? Does it produce fear and trembling in us? Does it produce a contrite spirit within us when we hear the word of God? This is the way God wants us to be. He says in Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where is the place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, says the Lord. But to this one will I look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. God says he will look, he will take consideration of the person who is humble, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at his word. That's the kind of good heart, heart that has been softened by the Holy Spirit that God desires for us to have. Those who hear the word of God and who are very receptive to it and who tremble at what God says. That's what he wants in each of us. But on the contrary, the evil, unbelieving heart hears the same word of God, and yet he does not want to hear God's voice. He would rather listen to man's voice. He would rather have his ears tickled, as the apostle says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He would rather actually hear pleasant words, and he would also like to hear illusions. Yes, indeed. He would rather listen to illusions rather than the true word of God. That's the way an evil heart is, a hard heart is. Isaiah 30, verse 9. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. This is what a hard heart does, an evil, unbelieving heart does. It wants nothing to do with the true prophets of God. It would rather listen to the false prophets who speak in the name of God, but they're actually false, and they tell these false prophets, speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions. 
That's what they want true prophets to do, and they run to the false prophets who actually do that. And then they tell the true prophet, get out of the way, turn aside from the path. Get out of my face, they will say in our terms. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That's what they do. Because they have a hard heart that provokes God. Provokes God to anger. We've heard about what it means to be a true brother and a false brother. Let's consider what the Bible says for ourselves and for our loved ones and anyone we encounter. And let's speak the truth to them. Speaking the truth in love. If we believe these things, let's hold fast and speak. I believed, therefore I spoke, the scripture says. Let's believe and speak these kinds of words to everyone around us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Father in heaven, we ask you to grant us more of your holiness, for we know that unless we pursue peace with all and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We want to see you and we want your holiness to have more and more control of our life. Forgive us of our sins and renew us and give us a desire to pursue you and to pursue you with your power, your, your Holy Spirit, your spirit of grace that will enable us to give, um, give you our whole heart, give, us, give you our whole life. So give us these things. In Jesus' name, amen.